Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, March 8th, 2023. It's been 3,296 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 377 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Second, we maintain that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Third, We assess that the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Russian Ministry of Defense is intensifying. There is a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin both on and off the battlefield. Fifth, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. With fewer than 30 caliber cruise missiles used for strikes on Ukrainian targets each month in December, January, and February. Sixth, we assess that the Russian military has abandoned its efforts to destroy Ukraine's electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure due to a lack of precision munitions and an inability to destroy more than 50% of electrical generation and transmission capacity. Seventh, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. And finally, we maintain that the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported their forces repelled an attack in the area of Khryanikivka. The surrounding settlements are directly adjacent to the town on the Oskil River, controlled by Ukraine. In our assessment, fighting is ongoing in the town. The GSAFU also reported that Masyutivka was shelled. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Russian artillery increased slightly 
members of the Russian Legion, not to be confused with the Russian Imperial Legion, Bar's 13 unit reported that the front has become, quote, more or less stable, and fighting is now between squad-sized units in the forested areas. There continues to be very little activity in the Svaltova operational area. The GSAFU and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Novoselivsky and Kuzimivka were shelled. In the Kremina operational area, positional fighting between squad and platoon-sized units continued in the forested areas near the settlements of Plushanka, Makievka, and Nevsky, with no change in the situation. Fighting also continued in the forested areas south of Kremina, and the Russian MOD reported that Russian troops attempted to advance in the direction of Yampolivka. We adjusted the war map, moving the line of conflict closer to Dibrova, and shrinking the gray area in the Serebriansky woods based on improved intelligence. Russian troops continue to operate in the Siversky Donets floodplain west of Shiplivka. It is the 303rd day of fighting for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with Russian forces once again attacking throughout the day. There was still absolutely zero change to the line of conflict. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, the 2nd Army Corps, supported by Russian Mobix, attempted to advance on Spirne from the south, suffered heavy losses, and were forced to return to their defensive positions. PMC Wagner attempted to advance in the direction of Siversk with an attack on Fedorivka, but could not break through Ukrainian defenses. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner continued its attacks on Vasyukivka and Zaleznyanske without success. Our assessment of the Bakhmut operational area from the March 4th episode was accurate. Ukrainian forces have withdrawn from the Zabakhmutka district to the west bank of the Bakhmutovka River. This is a stronger defensive line, and Ukrainian commanders have renewed their commitment to defend the city with the approval of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Quick sidebar, the river is 25 to 40 meters wide and has a marshy bank in the narrower sections, making it too wide or too challenging due to terrain for combat bridging equipment. Russian troops have not had any success making contested wet crossings in Ukraine. With the rainy season arriving, the river will be higher, faster, and the banks softer, complicating attempted crossings. That said, if Russian troops supported by PMC Wagner were to cross the river with a significant force, Ukrainian troops would almost certainly have to abandon their defense of the city. Ukrainian troop rotations continue. The dirt roads are still accessible for heavy and military-grade equipment, while civilian vehicles get stuck in the quagmire. Russian mill bloggers have hinted that the T-504 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, is being used by Ukraine but we cannot confirm. A pro-Russian Serbian reporter claimed he was at the MiG-17 monument in southwest Bakhmut on March 5th and that Ukraine had destroyed it while, quote, evacuating from the city. The claim is bizarre, because if Russian troops were at the monument, how would Ukrainian forces evacuate in that direction? A video shot on the same day showed a Ukrainian soldier at the monument, which was intact. No Russian troops or Serbian reporters were visible. Quick assessment. Obviously, the situation remains very fluid and could change quickly. 
In the Bakhmut operational area, PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance on Orechovo-Vasilivka. There were some reports of marginal gains along the M3 highway in the Slovyansk direction, but we couldn't verify the information. PMC Wagner and Russian forces continued to pressure Ukrainian defensive lines around Dubovo-Vasilivka from three directions, but remained unable to break through. Due to improved intelligence, we expanded the area of Russian control west of the Berkhivska Reservoir, north of Bohdanivka. We also reduced the salient in northern Bakhmut, based on Ukraine's withdrawal to better defensive lines. Within Bakhmut, Ukrainian forces withdrew from the Zabakhmutka district. This supports the March 5th reports from Russian state media military reporter Alexander Kotz, who reported, quote, The enemy, Ukraine, is slowly withdrawing forces to a new line of defense, but there is no talk of surrendering Bakhmut, end quote. Heavy fighting continued on the city's northern, eastern, and southern edges. Indicating that G-locks are still accessible, Colonel General Oleksandr Sirsky, commander of the ground forces of the armed forces of Ukraine, visited Bakhmut on March 5th. In a meeting with President Zelensky, he said that fighting for the city, quote, had reached its peak. South of Bakhmut, in the Kostyantanivka operational direction, Fighting on the outskirts of Ivanivska continued, with Ukrainian forces holding their defensive lines. Some assessment here. We maintain that Russia will capture Bakhmut at all costs, and Ukrainian commanders will continue the city's defense until it is no longer advantageous to future offensive plans. Way back on February 3rd, when PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin mockingly begged Ukrainian President Zelensky not to withdraw his troops from Bakhmut, we predicted it would age as well as, quote, room-temperature milk, which is to say that it would not age well at all. In his latest telegram post, Prigozhin indicated that his war with the Kremlin is expanding, and he expressed concern about his extending flanks. Prigozhin wrote, quote, PMC Wagner blocks Bakhmut. In order to unlock Bakhmut, it is advisable to block Wagner PMC. To do this, the armed forces of Ukraine created a number of groups. In Slovyansk, the 67th Brigade. In Siversk, the 81st and 66th Brigades. Another grouping in Chasivyar, And one more in Konstantinovka. I am knocking on all doors, sounding the alarm with ammunition and reinforcements, and also so that we cover our flanks. The armed forces of Ukraine will fight for Bakhmut to the end, and this is obvious. We must do our job to the end. End The city of Kramatorsk was hit by two Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. The missile struck at the foundation line of a school, causing major damage to the school building and to an adjacent 15-story apartment tower. Moving on to southwest Donetsk. Do you remember six months ago when we were reporting on events on the Donetsk-Luhansk border and it was basically the same report every day? Well... The 1st Army Corps, reinforced by Mobix, continued its wide-scale attacks across the Avdiivka operational area, although operational tempo does appear to be slowing. The heaviest fighting in the area continued east of the Krasnohorivka Plateau. 
That Russian attack in the direction of Novokalinova that we reported three days ago, well, it failed. And because Russian troops didn't keep a reserve to hold their defensive positions, Ukrainian troops reoccupied the western part of Novobakhmutivka. Sustained attacks on Kamyanka continued, with Russian Mobiks unable to cross the H-20 highway. The 1st Army Corps again attempted a head-on attack from Spartak in the direction of Avdiivka and suffered heavy losses. Russian troops continued trying to push west out of Vodyana along the northern edge of Pervomaiske, north towards Sieverne, and defend their positions from a Ukrainian attack from the northeast. Attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske continued, with no changes to the line of conflict. In the Marinka operational area, fighting in the center of Marinka and east of Pobida continued, still no change in the situation. A video from the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, showed Marinka had been obliterated after more than a year of fighting. In absolute seriousness, I don't know how else to describe it other than post-apocalyptic. Not only is there not a structure left standing that hasn't been damaged, there appears not to be a single structure left standing at all. It very much resembles the images of island towns immediately after the Indian Ocean tsunami in 2004. As with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do include a link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon. In the Vukhladar operational area, fighting flared up in the Mikilska Dachas, with no change to the situation. There were numerous reports that Russia was planning to restart offensive operations in this region, but there are no signs that this represents reality. Of course, another attack could be planned, as we believe Vukhladar offers more strategic value for Russia's long-term plans than Bakhmut. Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu traveled to Russian-occupied Mariupol and toured several recently constructed locations, including an empty hospital. Minister Shoigu provided no information on whether the doctors staffing the hospital will be working for 30,000 rubles a month. At about 400 U.S. dollars, that is the current salary for a physician in the Donetsk People's Republic. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and failed Mobik Igor Strelkov-Girkin roasted Shoigu due to a breach of military protocol. Throughout the promotional video, Shoigu, in a battle dress uniform, had his hands in his pockets. Did, did you just hear that collective gasp? That's every military veteran who reads or listens to our content. Well played, Girkin. Well played. Sidebar. An accelerated course from the University of Google indicated that the United States Air Force modified AFI 36-2903 in 2021, allowing airmen to put their hands in their pockets. Did you hear that second gasp? In Zaporizhia, near Trudolyubimivka, a Ukrainian Su-27 multi-role fighter Blue-19 was reportedly shot down in an air-to-air engagement. There was no information given about the pilot. The wreckage was not seen before and was not in the Oryx database, indicating the claim is likely accurate. International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, Director General Rafael Grossi provided an update on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant 
at the 1659th meeting of the IAEA Board of Governors in Vienna, Austria. Clearly, this is not an annual meeting. Grossi said he had intensified consultations with Kyiv and Moscow, attempting to establish a green zone around ZNPP. Grossi said to the board, quote, Can we really say we are serious about nuclear safety and security if we are not able to provide for a nuclear safety and protection zone around the plant, which is in an active combat zone? I don't think so. Let's not forget that the first priority in the world at this point in time is to avoid a nuclear accident. End quote. Before Russia expanded its war in Ukraine, Enerhoazm created a training center for teaching repair and management at nuclear power plants. Nuclear scientists from around the world could work on full-scale models of equipment to gain skills. After Rosatom engineers inspected the facility and technical center, their experts compiled a list of equipment that, quote, needs to be dismantled from ZNPP in case Russian forces retreat. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported 16 Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including two frigates and two Kilo-class submarines, capable of launching a total of 24 caliber cruise missiles. One frigate returned to port during the day and was replaced by a different vessel. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. In the city of Kherson, the residential district was shelled, and attacks on the Bereslav Rayon continued. OCS reported that near Great Potemkin Island, south of Kherson in the Dnipro River, three private boats with 18 Russian troops were sunk. Russian mill blogger Vitaly Kiselyov partially corroborated the Ukrainian report, indicating mutual fighting around the island with, quote, losses on both sides. Russian occupied Holopristan, Kohovka, Nova Kohovka, Vasilivka, and Olishki were shelled. In north and northeast Ukraine, in the Sumy Oblast, the Hromadas of Shalekhin, Esmin, Bilupilia, and Novosloboda were hit by 57 artillery shells, mortars, and drone delivered IEDs. The village of Sarikovo was hit by 1,152 millimeter artillery shells damaging a home. In Khabovsky, 17 drone-dropped grenades hit a two-story building, breaking windows and damaging cars. On the Russian front, Ukraine's Kraken Group said they had destroyed an unoccupied observation tower in Russia's Bryansk region using a drone. It was a rare acknowledgement by Kyiv that a cross-border attack was made. A Russian Mi-8 helicopter operating in the daytime and clear weather conditions hit a power line and had to make an emergency landing in the Voronezh Federal District. Russian aviation lost a second Mi-8 in an operational accident at the Beluyarsk nuclear power plant less than 24 hours later. The tail rotor was torn off while the rotor craft was landing. The Mi-8 was part of Dmitry Medvedev's motorcade set to tour the plant. There were no injuries.
Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. President Zelensky held a meeting of the staff of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief. The readout after the meeting said that commanders discussed the situation in the critical operational areas, focusing on Bakhmut. President Zelensky asked Valery Zaluzhny, commander-in-chief of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, and Oleksandr Sirsky, commander of the Ground Forces and commander of the Eastern Group of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, about the future of Bakhmut, with both generals recommending to continue to fight for the city and to deploy additional resources. Zelensky also approved Lieutenant General Pavlyuk Oleksandr Oleksyevich, first deputy minister of defense of Ukraine, to become part of the staff of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief. There was additional information about the March 5th drone attack, with 15 Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones launched from Russia and 13 shot down. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed a significant thermal anomaly at an oil storage facility in Visokohirne in the Zaporizhia Oblast. However, whether the facility is for hydrocarbons or food-grade oils is unclear. There is a soybean oil factory to the east and a sunflower oil factory to the west of the rail terminal. It is also possible that a combination of food-grade oils and natural gas is stored at the facility. Deputy head of the Odessa Regional Military Administration, Ihort Kachuk, was arrested by the Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU. According to Regional Administrative and Military Governor Maxim Marchenko, quote, We continue, together with law enforcement agencies, to clean up all the leaders who still do not understand how they should perform their official duties, even more so during the war. End quote. The information on what crimes Tkachuk is suspected of committing was not announced. Russian state media reported that the Russian Federal Security Service, or FSB, prevented an assassination attempt on pro-Kremlin oligarch Konstantin Molofeyev, who finances pro-Russian volunteer units operating in Donbass. The Kremlin accused Russian national Denis Kapustin, who led a raid into Bryansk from Ukraine last week, as the organizer of the attempted car bombing. Has reality started to hit DNR military commander Alexander Khodakovsky? Because in his latest Telegram post, he wrote, quote, Observing our, Russia's, heroic efforts in the Bakhmut direction, I nevertheless pay tribute to the enemy, Ukraine. If we had demonstrated such tenacity in defense, the history of this war would have been written somewhat differently. They believe that they are protecting their land. It seems that this truth has not yet reached us. End quote. It was reported that since Russia expanded its war in Ukraine on February 24, 2022, Bulgaria has provided over $1 billion in military aid to Ukraine through intermediary nations such as the United States, Poland, and the United Kingdom. Speaking of nations, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. In an inexplicable statement, almost six months after Russia illegally annexed Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson, Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said, quote, No decisions were made to create a new federal district for the DNR, LNR, Kherson, and Zaporizhia regions. Various options are being explored, and the decision will be made in a timely manner. End quote. Russian sources are reporting that near Kursk, 
Personnel of the 69647th Military Unit, 37th Motorized Rifle Brigade, accidentally shot two of his comrades. Homobic on firewatch challenged an approaching pair with Stop, who's coming, but the two didn't respond. The Mobic fired a warning shot into the air, but almost instantly lowered his gun and fired into the dark. He killed a member of his unit and wounded another. PMC Wagnerhead Prigozhin reported that he wrote a letter to the commander of the Special Military Operation about his urgent need for ammunition, which continues to go unanswered by the Kremlin. He wrote, quote, On March 6 at 8 o'clock in the morning, my representative at the headquarters had his pass cancelled and was denied access to the group's headquarters. End quote. Assessment here. We are less convinced that PMC Wagner is being singled out for special treatment with widespread complaints from Russian troops about ammunition shortages. It's unclear if Prigozhin has an unrealistic expectation of matching the rate of fire achieved in the summer of 2022 or is attempting to manipulate the political landscape. Mobics from Kaliningrad, Murmansk, and Arkhangelsk recorded a video appeal to Russian President Putin claiming they were being intimidated by commanders, ill-trained, and were given World War II weapons. They refused to fight due to a lack of training and proper equipment, saying, quote, We are people, not meat, and claim they face punitive measures for noncompliance. This is now the 13th Russian military unit to riot in less than three weeks, representing thousands of Russian Mobics. The Oryx database update on March 6, 2023, reported that Russia had lost over 9,500 pieces of heavy military equipment, including 1,810 tanks. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is some graphic detail in today's report, and if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. The neo-Nazi Rusik group, part of the First Army Corps, released a video showing a Ukrainian prisoner of war being executed. While standing in what appears to be a hastily and inadequately shallow grave, the POW is told by a Russian soldier to remove his Ukrainian flag patch. The POW takes a long drag of a cigarette and responds with, Glory to Ukraine. He is killed by machine gun fire, with the first bullet striking him in the face, ripping the hat off his head. Shots continue to be fired. The video is extremely graphic, not suitable for work, absolutely not for children, and very disturbing. The Ukrainian soldier was identified as Timofey Shadura of the 30th Separate Mechanized Brigade. He went missing on February 3, 2023, near Bakhmut. Shadura's sister told the BBC she could see her brother standing up as he did. The 30th defeated the 74th Separate Guards Motor Rifle Brigade during the failed river crossing between Dronivka and Vilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, in the Donbass from May 5th to May 13th. PMC Wagner's reverse side of the metal channel didn't condemn the execution, only the recording of it, saying, quote, 
Such things affect the image of the country. They should not be done under any circumstances. A Russian soldier being in this special military operation represents the country. And in the same way, it denigrates Russia when such incidents happen. Well, if you are mentally rejected or a maniac who just needs to kill people, then at least do it without a video. End quote. LNR Russian mail blogger Andriy Murazov expressed a similar sentiment, writing, quote, I watched a video showing a prisoner of war being shot for saying glory to Ukraine. As in all such cases, I will say that the authors of the video are f***ing motherfuckers. F***ers, of course, not because they shot, but because they filmed it and posted it on the network. End quote. Quick sidebar. Keep in mind, these are the more reasonable mail bloggers we follow. To summarize, war crimes are fine if you don't document them. During his evening address, President Zelensky vowed the, quote, murderers would be found. Speaking on TV, he said, quote, Due to our unity, due to our determination, due to the fact that we value the whole of Ukraine and every Ukrainian, we know exactly the outcome of this war. We have known it since the first days of the war. In Ukraine, we will always hear, Glory to Ukraine. And millions will always respond, Glory to the heroes. It will always be like that. Ukraine will not forget the feet of each and every one whose lives gave freedom to Ukraine forever. End quote. Prigozhin shared a video on his Telegram channel of PMC Wagner loading cases of sparkling wine stolen from the art wine factory in Bakhmut to be shipped to Luhansk and St. Petersburg, Russia. Kids these days with their video phones. Didn't you hear? War crimes like looting are acceptable if you don't document them. In Kupyansk, Ukrainian officials are trying to convince the civilian population to evacuate due to relentless and indiscriminate shelling and missile attacks. Ten people, families with children and the disabled, were convinced to leave. Officials said there is housing for up to 500 families with children in Zhitomir. Let's have some good news. Paramedic and volunteer Yulia Paevska, callsigned Tyra, became a laureate of the International Women of Courage Award. Paevska was taken prisoner in Mariupol on or around March 16th, just two days after the drama theater bombing, and 24 hours after Associated Press reporters smuggled out her now-famous GoPro videos stashed in a tampon. The United States State Department issues the International Woman of Courage Award to women who have shown leadership, courage, ingenuity, and a willingness to sacrifice for others, especially in the advancement of women's rights. In geopolitical news, parliamentary elections in Estonia ended with a clear victory for the Reform Party and incumbent Prime Minister Kaja Kallas. Kallas's party won 31.2% of the vote and received 37 seats in Parliament, a net gain of three seats. The Nationalist Party, EKRE, came in second with 16% of the vote, losing two seats. EKRE opposes integration with the West, sees Estonia as a country of Estonians, and is reluctant to accept refugees. Chinese Foreign Minister Qin Gong reiterated that China does not supply weapons to any parties to the Ukraine conflict. Multiple political, military, and intelligence leaders have indicated over the last week 
that China is not providing lethal military aid to Russia. Exiled Belarusian opposition leader Svetlana Sikhanuskaya was sentenced to 15 years in prison after being convicted in absentia of treason and, quote, conspiracy to seize power. Sikhanuskaya, a former English teacher, fled to Lithuania after the 2020 elections, which dictator Alexander Lukashenko claims he won in a landslide. The nation plunged into mass protests challenging his stranglehold before a violent government crackdown resulted in thousands of arrests. The Moldovan parliament voted to replace the Moldovan language with Romanian in what is viewed as a symbolic protest against Soviet-era Russification and Kremlin influence on Europe's poorest nation. The law, which will see all official legislation written in Romanian rather than Moldovan, as well as replace the phrases official language with state language and mother tongue with Romanian, will be implemented next month. Fun fact, the Moldovan language was an invention of Joseph Stalin during the Soviet Union's post-World War II occupation of Eastern Europe. While there are small linguistic differences, the biggest was caused by the Kremlin's edict that Moldova would use the Cyrillic alphabet. In economic news, according to the country's Ministry of Finance data, Russia's budget deficit rose to $34 billion for the first two months of 2023. The Kremlin had budgeted a $39 billion shortfall for the entire year, about 2% of Russia's GDP. Fueling the deficit is a 46% decline in oil and gas revenues during the same period. The Economist reported that the life expectancy for a 15-year-old Russian had dropped five years since 2020 and, for reference, is now equal to Hades. Over the past three years, the country lost about 2 million more people than expected due to the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, and the ensuing flight of large numbers of Russians. The birth rate through April 2022 was the lowest level since the Nazi occupation and the lowest recorded in so-called peacetime since the mid-1800s. Russia's gender gap is also growing, with 10 million more women than men. The fastest population decline is among ethnic Russians, the very group that President Putin claims he wants to grow. The United Nations projects that if the current trend continues, Russia's population could fall to 120 million in the next decade, a loss of 20 million people. The population loss will hobble GDP growth and the tax base for years. The ruble had an exchange rate of 76 for one U.S. dollar and was drifting lower. West Texas Intermediate crude climbed to $80 a barrel, and Brent rose to $86. Russian Ural's crude held at an official price of $62 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline rose again, with the price on the spot market reaching $2.78 a gallon, or $0.73 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures continued declining, with April and May contracts at €42 Euros per megawatt hour. We will stop reporting European natural gas futures pricing on March 30th due to the end of winter and price stability. Chicago SRW wheat futures is starting the week on a drop, trading at $7.04 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone.
You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.